Whew. Sorry, I've been, uh, it's, it's been a long week. I'm just looking at the clock, and I think VBS is officially over in about 20 minutes. So uh, who's counting, though? Nobody's, nobody's counting. Nobody's counting. Um, I love things like Vacation Bible School. Um, one of the principal reasons I do is because uh, you, if you're going to be involved with something like VBS, you need to be flexible um, because you never know when things aren't going to go as planned, whether you, somebody gets sick or somebody else uh, wasn't able to, to participate with how they planned to or what you had planned just took away too much time or you got done really soon and you have a time slot that you need to fill now that you didn't realize you had. It's a... There's a whole lot of things with VBS that are unknowns when people agree to commit. You never know if things are going to go exactly the way that you thought they were. And I just really um, want to take this opportunity one more time to acknowledge and thank everybody that was involved with Vacation Bible School this year. As you saw from the credits in the video, it's far too long of a list for this poor brain to remember. But just know that thank you very, very much for the difference that you made in this church and the lives of each of the young people that attended. I just want to say thank you one more time. Thank you. This uh, afternoon, briefly, I want to share a, uh, just a, a little uh, informal teaching with you to kind of wrap up this week, uh, focusing on, on Paul and the church in Rome. Um, <laughs> you know, the story of, of Paul, or as he's known at different times during the narrative in the book of Acts, Saul, um, it's, a, it's an incredible story. And the, the young people that attended got to hear a large portion of it this week. And I want to focus in on the story where Saul meets Jesus today. Um, it's one that the kids heard, heard some of, but we're going to focus in on a specific character in the story um, just for our brief time together today. So if you happen to have a Bible with you and you want to follow along, feel free to open up to the book of Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, as you do so, as you're turning there, I just want to remind you that this far into the narrative of the early church, we know a little bit about this guy named Saul, and frankly, none of it's very good, right? If you are kind of doing a narrative analysis on the book of the Acts of the Apostles so far, you would easily have Paul penciled in under antagonist, um, <clears throat> Villain, general bad guy, he's not somebody that uh, you think there's a whole lot of hope for in this story. Um, in fact, we first meet him at the death of the, really the first Christian martyr, a deacon by the name of Stephen, who uh, is in a very similar sense to Jesus, and by that I mean really not at all, tried and condemned and executed uh, people with half a sense of justice would look at both of those stories, Jesus and Stephen, and say, yeah, that was murder. Um, and really the one driving the ship for Stephen's death is a guy who's at the end of the story is said to be holding the coats of those throwing the stones at Stephen. His name is Saul of Tarsus. And that's a, 
he had, let's say, a, a, a significant hand in the proceedings that went down with Stephen. After the death of Stephen, Saul starts on a rampage against the church in Jerusalem. It's his efforts of persecution that kind of push the church into phase two of Jesus' plan for his church, which is to take the gospel to Jerusalem and then to Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. It's Saul that pushes people out of Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, and we see some cool stories from that. But then the, the narrative switches back in chapter 9 to Saul, and we see something that should be quite disturbing to us regarding this guy. Let's pick it up in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath. This is a man who's driven, he's passionate, and his passions and his drive are not leading in good directions. He was eager to kill the Lord's followers. He went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way that he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Not a good guy. And so far, Acts chapter 9 is like, wow, this is intense, but very much on brand. That's what Saul does. He's just a hunter of people who are following Jesus. We'll continue in verse 3. As he's approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul responds with a question, Who are you, Lord? And that's not a word that Saul would ever use lightly. Saul is acknowledging that he is in the presence of Yahweh, the Lord, the Old Testament God of his people. And this Lord has now accused him of persecution. And you feel like he kind of knows the answer to the question he's asking, but you feel kind of a desperate prayer from him that please let this not be the answer I think is coming. But who are you, Lord? And the voice replied, I am Jesus. Oh my I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now, get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless. They heard the sound of someone's voice, but they didn't see anything. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, and he remained there blind for three days, and he did not eat or drink. Saul, who's coming to try and it would seem, perchance, get a little bit north of those who left Jerusalem and maybe curtail their efforts to expand this church, he's coming with letters of authority and he is left here in Damascus at this point in the narrative in a place of deep humility and desperation. In fact, it would seem that the church finally had Saul of Tarsus right where they want him, helpless and alone. And it's here during this portion of the narrative that I want to really focus in on this character that is about to be introduced. He's an amazing man. Every time I, I journey through this narrative, I'm inspired greatly 
And it's a, it's a mirror that is held up to me in my life. Wow. Could I be like this guy? His name is Ananias. The story is a one-off. He appears in Acts chapter 9. We never hear from him again. But man, what a story. In verse 10, the narrative continues. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. This already sounds pretty cool, to be on a first-name basis with Jesus and him showing up and chatting with you. Fantastic. You might be tempted to say, wow, sign me up. I want to be Ananias. Well, just wait. Verse 11, the Lord said, all right, uh, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. Uh, when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus. Uh-oh. Ananias is like, whoa, 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 from Tarsus? Um, now, I know Tarsus is a, a big place. No doubt there's a lot of people that are from Tarsus. I really uh, hope that it's one of them and not this other name that I really do not want to hear next, Jesus. Jesus says, ask for a man from Tarsus. Uh, his name's Saul. Have you heard of him? Saul from Tarsus? Oh, no. Jesus says, he's praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. I don't know if this was Ananias' reaction, but if I was him, I would have been like, oh, Jesus, what did you have to go and do that for? Why didn't you tell him my name? Did you have to let him know that I was specifically the one coming? Couldn't you just said one of your followers is coming? Like, why did you have to out me like that? He didn't know who I was. I was perfectly fine leaving it that way. You had to tell him my name? Thanks a lot. But Lord, exclaims Ananias, <laughs> I've heard people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And, just in case you didn't know Jesus, he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. And just for further clarification, Jesus, I'm one of them, so I'm not super thrilled by this guy's presence in our city. I'd just as soon not go introduce myself. But Jesus answers in verse 15, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Thus Ananias is brought to a point of decision. What to do? Jesus has given him very clear instructions what to do. Over the course of this week at Vacation Bible School, um, it's been a, a pleasure and a privilege to get to uh, uh, remind our young people of some very specific and basic truths from the Bible. And uh, we, we did so primarily through the writing of this guy by the name of Saul, who you'll know later, goes on by the name of Paul as he journeys into more Gentile territory. And um, he wrote a letter to the church in Rome before visiting there, and uh, we referenced that letter quite a bit this week. And there's different truths that we brought out to teach the kids. And um, yeah, just, just a handful of them. God's love is a gift. That God's love is always with us. That God's love saves us. God's love changes us, and that God's love is worth sharing. 
we really focused in on those things, and I really think that those are the five kind of main points that Ananias needs to be confronted with right now as he's in this moment of decision. Because it's easy to believe in general truths. Uh, it gets real, and it can get really hard when specific applications are made. So, yeah, our teaching today is called, Yeah, but how much? I think this is true, but how far does this general truth go? So God's love is a gift. Yeah. But how much, right? Like, how far does that gift really go? The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Yes, I believe it. But what about Saul? If you're Ananias, God's love is a gift. Yeah. Does it go that far, though? So I want to do a little experiment. The verses that we uh, grabbed from the book of Romans to teach these truths this week, I want to invite you to take this exercise on with me. Let's, let's throw Saul's name into them. Let's get real specific here. So God's love is a gift. The wages of Saul's sin is death. But the free gift of God to Saul is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Okay. God's love is, is always with us. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah. But how much? I mean, does God's love stick around through anything? This guy, Saul, that we're talking about here, He's been the foremost enemy of the kingdom of God. Can God still love that guy? For I'm convinced that nothing can separate Saul from God's love. God's love saves us? Yeah. But how much? I... I know that God loves us so much that he would rather die himself than not let us have a choice of life. I know that God loves us before we ever get our acts together. I'm aware. But even if we don't have to be perfect, there's got to be some sort of a standard, right, that we have to meet before God's love can save you. I know, I, personally, I'm not perfect. Uh, and when I look at the, the laundry list of things that I've failed at in life, um, it's surprisingly foremost enemy of the kingdom of God isn't one of those, like actively seeking out to murder Christians. That's, that's not on my list. So I, in general, yes, God's love saves us. I believe God's love can save me. But does it go this far? God showed his great love for Saul by sending Christ to die for Saul while he was still a sinner. God's love changes us? Yeah. But how much? I mean, I know where I've been. I know how God has changed me. He's given me new life, yes. Again, though, just to clear things up, on my worst days, I wasn't actively trying to kill God's church. Can God change everyone? 
And remember, this isn't a casual transformation that Jesus has described to Ananias. This isn't a, you know this Saul guy, the guy who murdered Stephen and has been like hunting people like you down? Uh, yeah, no, this guy, uh, Jesus doesn't just say, he's, he's actually going to change his mind and he's going to join the church and he's going to be, yeah, he's going to be part of the church. No, Jesus says, this guy who's been hunting people down, who follow me, he's actually going to be my principal voice to kings, to the Gentiles, to Jewish people all over the world. It's not necessarily a small uh, vision of transformation here. As a matter of fact, you can't imagine a bigger one. Can God change everyone? In Romans it says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Let's insert his name here, but let God transform Saul into a new person by changing the way Saul thinks. So if you believe that God can change anybody, what about everybody? God's love is worth sharing. And perchance for you and for me, this might be where it gets most real. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. God's love is worth sharing. But how much? I know that it's worth enduring a lot of hardship in order to share the good news of Jesus with others. Yeah. But again, we're talking about the enemy of God's church. Is it really worth putting myself on his radar? Do I need to go actually make this introduction? Hi, Saul. I'm the guy you're trying to kill. Here's my name. Here's where I live. Just, just process this. Whether it took a half hour or a split second, I don't know in the mind of Ananias, but I'm guessing that something along these lines had to go, go through some sort of a process. I guess it is possible for God to gift his love to Saul. I guess it is possible for God to always love Saul. I guess it's possible for God's love to save Saul. I guess it's even possible for God to change Saul. But there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee. Is it worth it to share the gospel for a mere possibility? Paul wrote these words much later but I don't think he was the first to, first to say something similar. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Jesus. It's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, even Saul. So church family, I want to leave this, well, pause there for just a moment because we want to look at see what uh, choice Ananias actually made. Verse 17, Ananias went and he found Saul. He laid his hands on him and he said, Brother Saul, I want you to pause right there. You are talking to the enemy of God's church, a guy who has begged for permission to come and hunt you down. And your opening word to him is, Brother Saul. Wow. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, 
who appeared to you on the road. He has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's pause there again. You realize in everything that Jesus said to Ananias, he didn't say anything about the Holy Spirit. He says, I want you to go and uh, restore sight to this guy, and he's going to become this. He's going to become my principal instrument to the world. (laughs) It would seem in the mind of Ananias, he's like, well, if this is going to happen, there's only one way this is going to happen. That's if the Holy Spirit fills this boy. So I'm just going to tell him it's coming. So Ananias reads into that a little bit, very correctly. He sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. (laughs) We want to see the redirected passion of a guy like Saul. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Guy's been fasting from food and water for three days. We've got to get baptized before I have lunch. That's a man who's now on a mission. One might wonder, what would have happened had Ananias chosen differently? What, what might have happened had Ananias decided it wasn't worth it for a possibility. Thankfully, we'll never know. But I want to leave us with this today. Jesus is absolutely confident in his ability to save and change anybody. I'll say that one more time. Jesus is absolutely confident in his ability to save and change anybody. And he's looking for people like Ananias that share his confidence. I don't know about you, but I rarely look in the mirror and see someone who can plant churches across a continent and write over 25% of the New Testament. (laughs) This is not who I see in myself. But maybe, maybe that's not who God is calling me to be. Maybe he just wants me to believe that he can save and change anybody. Maybe there's someone that I think is beyond his reach. That's a church planter in his making. Maybe I just need to believe that if Jesus can save and change me, He can save and change anybody. Um, I really like my name. It's a good name, Joshua. Anybody else named Joshua out there? I'm all alone today. Wow, sweet. Joshua is a great name. Uh, I've I've always liked it, but for different reasons. But as I I have grown in... uh, Wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Um, I can always count on Harry for my courtesy laugh. Um, I've grown to realize one very special thing about my name. 
said, if you take it all the way back, etymology back to its origins in the Hebrew language, my name is Yeshua. And I happen to share a name with a rather conspicuous figure in world history. We know him best as Jesus. His name uh, has a special meaning to it. It means something very different to me than it does to him. Because I'm very different from him. I don't know if it's shown or not, but. <laughs> but here's the thing. The name Yeshua means that Yahweh saves. The Lord saves. And for me, that's a reminder every time my name gets spoken. And it's not me who does my saving or anybody else's. But that Jesus, if he can save and change me, he can save and change anybody. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, we thank you for your absolute confidence in your ability to save and change anybody. Today we just ask for the faith and the courage of Ananias that we might share that confidence with you. Sometimes we look at figures like Paul and we wonder if we could ever measure up. Eh. You've got a special calling for each one of us that's going to be probably very different from his. But if there's one thing that we know that we're called into that we desire greatly, it's the faith and the courage to be like Ananias and to not view anybody as being beyond your reach. That if you can save us, no one is off the table. Extend that grace to us, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.